0: Welcome to the Anxious Poets podcast I am the Anxious Poet I'm Adrian Scott What you can hear playing is Kate Rusby's amazing song The Holly King from her latest album called Hollyhead Her latest Christmas album I saw her at the City Hall recently. She sang this song, and it absolutely captivated me. It's about winter, the kingdom of the Holly King, who comes in autumn and overthrows the Oak King, the King of Summer. And the Holly King comes with his Queen, the Holly Queen, and she breathes frost over the landscape and transforms the world around us. And she brings and he brings the darkness of winter. Winter's grip is tightening, and it's time for the Oak King's overthrow. So, this podcast is looking at winter, looking at Christmas. And for anyone who suffers from anxiety or depression, these are difficult times in many ways. I personally find, and that's all I can speak from, the dark of the winter really difficult. I find the dark mornings and especially the dark evenings when I'm walking the dogs at four o'clock with a head torch and looking like some kind of bellowing ancient steam engine as my breath comes out and catches in the head torch's light. I find it hard. I think it makes me turn inwards and go into my own head more, and if my head's a bit all over the place, and my anxiety is not great, it just seems to give more space for it, more scope. So I've always had to work really hard in winter at, at, at finding what the dark is teaching me, what it holds for me, and to find ways of illuminating it, but not eradicating it or ignoring it. So, this podcast, I'm going to look at those things that illuminate, and allow also the darkness to speak. And I want to start with politics. I haven't read or or, or shared anything particularly political on uh, on this podcast. Um, You can hear me clicking to find the poem I want to read. Um, But we've just had, uh, for those of you who aren't listening to this in the United Kingdom, we've just had a general election. And I'm still pretty stunned at the outcome. And I know that people had many reasons for voting the way they voted, But to find ourselves with five years of a conservative government who in my life's experience have never particularly uh, looked after the most vulnerable, I find that quite a chilling prospect. And for a while, coming up to this election, I started working on a piece that I want to read to you now, which is it's it's from a series of poems that I'm writing called From the Cradle to the Grave and it's uh, an inv- invocation, an evocation, a celebration a warning about what happened in 1945 so Britain had just come through a war and Winston Churchill was the great hero the great Prime Minister of that time but astonishingly people of Britain elected uh, a government led by a Labour Prime Minister called Clement Attlee, a rather bookish man, uh, very intelligent, um, somewhat quietly spoken, um, and on a mandate to set up the welfare state. Britain, before the war, was in a parlour state, and people were really suffering. There was there was poor education, poor housing, poor health. You had to pay for health. Uh, people used to talk about the different debt collectors that would turn up on a Friday to collect debts. And one of them was the doctor's debt collector. So people were wary of going to doctors because it cost them money. So the nation's health was in a mess. And um, a man called Beveridge, William Beveridge, a liberal... Uh, peer of the realm was asked to write a report which became known as the beverage report and he identified and i found this uh poetically very powerful imagery he identified the five giant evils that were stalking the country as he put it and those evils were ignorance want idleness disease and squalor And he said that these evils had to be fought just with the same vigour as we had fought Nazism, Fascism, uh, and, and the regimes that were coming across Europe with their appalling and dangerous brand of nationalism. And so Clement Attlee took up this challenge and presented it to the British people and they elected the government with a landslide victory. And this first introductory part of the poem looks at, at what happened then and reflects a little bit on what what is happening now. And what I want to go on to is look at how those five giant evils are, are, are rearing their ugly heads again, certainly in the United Kingdom, um, which may not be united for much longer. Um, so... I'm not going to say anything else. I'm just going to read the poem. It was really inspired by going to see Hamilton, Hamilton, the uh, the the uh, musical about one of the founding fathers of the United States, Alexander Hamilton. My two daughters nagged and nagged me to go and see it. My my wife and I to go and see it because they thought we'd love it, and we did. How Lin Manuel Miranda read a 900-page biography of Alexander Hamilton, one of the lesser-known founding fathers of the United States, and thought, oh, I know, I'll write a hip-hop rap musical about this man. But he did, and it's absolutely brilliant, um, very worth seeing, just as Kate Rusby is, and get her album, The Holly King, uh, The ho- it's called Hollyhead. it's fantastic. So this poem was somewhat inspired by by the way uh, hamilton uh, is 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 written 1945 to 2019 Attlee's legacy a war's end a peace to spend red flag the commons sang heads back the commons rang a landslide a turn of the tide a walk on the left side ready to face a wasted nation, heady with electoral elation, educating, agitating, helthing, re-wealthing. William, Lord Beveridge, filled with liberal leverage. This was his pledge, to build a welfare bridge, bunion like a nation's pilgrimage. Struggle with the five brigands, privations pyramids, the rich on top, the poor disinherited. Rigorous gaunt, gentleness was his, and valour, ignorance once. Idleness, disease and squalor Giant evils sucking at our vigour The work of an Oxford Inc. college scholar Deliverance, a plan for national succour His call taken up, full cup, lapped up By the suited, booted, spectacle labour club Bevan, Bevin, Morrison, Cripps and Greenwood, Heavens, Levin Samaritan scripts goodness their watchword conferred with an absurd amount of energy nourished by a ragged trousered philanthropy implacably ready with all alacrity to see the world a better place to be a kinder face to nationalize the commonplace to make the nation's case. And behind the slum sodden doors, poverty pours. capitalism's carnivores, rapacious door-to-doors, rent-collectors, doctors-debtors, interest-accumulators, five giant evils alive, defiant all rivals for the crown, to bring down any who dare to care. Then this an iron wails his class-war prophet, bringing all his fire in, rails off so eloquent— Took up the common purse, things can't get worse, looked up, cooked up, the National Health Service, snuffed the doctor's stuffed the doctor's mouths with gold. Bluffed objectures, smooth young and old, minor bold, abu vale polled, socialism's chokehold, until on the appointed day no Tory could gainsay. The 5th of July, health on full supply, regardless of their pockets' ability for no society legitimately can appeal to civility if disability causes deniability of medical aid because their means forbade an appeal to be weighed in the scales of the prepaid, waylaid by their poverty." And we arose from war, jacks waving, home for heroes, press hacks raving, on the placards give thanks by saving, going onwards public banks paving, the way to fair shares, caring, trailblazing, safety netting, lifting the weak, a welfare state, aid in abetting the meek, ending the cheapskate, state that made the giant evils agglomerate. From the slums, the mills, the shoeless streets, in columns, parliamentary bills, heartbeats, the drums of contradictory wills replete, with factories, commons, and did those feet, a new world, full fruits of industry's unison, arrows of burning gold, Blake's new Jerusalem, within our reach, a green and pleasant union. In Clement Attlee's cooperative, innovative era, what wouldn't they have done to conquer these five giant evils, Mammon's chimera, and overthrow Inequity's Inequity's malicious monster? But now these new bombasts of the rich who want life to be in an even pitch say they have the God-given right to switch a kindness of welfare for their neoliberal dodge, have seized back control, greed in free reign, the Iron Lady let them out again. These evil giants were just hiding and now they prosper to our nation's dividing, conniving, purloining, misrepresenting, convincing the poor to vote against their own interests." So let me paint a picture of our nation and lay bare this dark invasion, name the evils for all their predation and sound again 45's rallying cry. So that's my uh, rant over. In this dark season of The Holy King, it's about finding hope and Certainly, uh, I just went last night to um, our food bank's volunteer Christmas party. Um, Amazing to see the generosity of people with their time, to see the church full of donations, which have come a lot after the election, um, to the food bank. Scandalous that we need them. It's scandalous, but people's generosity and willingness to help has to be a source of hope. It has to be the thing that brings us together. And Christmas certainly is a time to think about all the people around us, those lonely people, our families, the difficulties of our families, the traumas. We look back at a year and think about The good things that have happened, but we often notice the great absences, the losses, the person not at the table anymore. For me, one of the losses will be my lovely dog, Gabriel, who won't be on the walk that we do on Christmas Day, um, and whose grave is in my garden, and I look at his little headstone that we made for him, um, and think about his lovely loyalty but I, I i wanted to go back to a person who i spoke about in the last podcast and somehow dylan thomas captures so many things but one of the things he really gets is christmas and uh if you've never read it a child's christmas in wales by dylan thomas i've got a lovely little uh version of it illustrated by edward uh Ardizone. i think that's how you pronounce it um it's just magical it, it, it captures so much of what a childhood in this in this kingdom was about um and i'd like to read a little bit of it and then i've got a couple of poems that i've written myself about dylan thomas um as a bit of a christmas cracker if you like um so this is towards the end of the child's christmas in wales Bring out the tall tales now that we told by the fire as the gaslight bubbled like a diver. Ghosts wooed like owls in the long nights when I dared not look over my shoulder. Animals lurked in the cubbyhole under the stairs where the gas meter ticked. I remember that we went singing carols once. When there wasn't the shaving of a moon to light the flying streets, at the end of a long road was a drive that led to a large house. And we stumbled up the darkness of the drive that night. Each one of us afraid, each one holding a stone in his hand in case, and all of us too brave to say a word. The wind through the trees made noises as of old, unpleasant and maybe web-footed men wheezing in caves. We reached the black bulk of the house. What shall we give them? Hark the herald? No, Jack said, good King Wenceslas, I'll count, three, one, two, three, and we began to sing, our voices high and seemingly distant in the snow-felted darkness, round the house that was occupied by nobody we knew. We stood close together near the dark door, good King Wenceslas looked out on the feast of Stephen, And then a small, dry voice, like the voice of someone who has not spoken for a long time, joined our singing. A small, dry, eggshell voice from the other side of the door. A small, dry voice through the keyhole. And when we stopped running, we were outside our house. The front room was lovely. Balloons floated under the hot water bottle gulping gas. Everything was good again and shone over the town. "'Perhaps it was a ghost,' Jim said. "'Perhaps it was trolls,' Dan said, who was always reading. "'Let's go in and see if there's any jelly left,' Jack said, and we did that. "'Always on Christmas night there was music. "'An uncle played the fiddle, a cousin sang Cherry Ripe, "'and another uncle sang Drake's drum. "'It was very warm in the little house.'" Auntie Hannah Who had got on the parsnip onto the parsnip wine, sang a song about bleeding hearts and death, and then another in which she sang said her heart was like a bird's nest, and then everybody laughed again, and then I went to bed. Looking through my bedroom window, out onto the moonlight, and the unending smoke coloured snow, I could see the lights in the windows of all the other houses on our hill, and hear the music rising up from them up the long, steadily falling night. I turned the gas down. I got into bed. I said some words to the close and holy darkness, and then I slept. I said some words to the close and holy darkness, and then I slept. Wow, isn't that beautiful? The close and holy darkness... So that's definitely one of the things that I feel about Christmas, that there's a close and holy darkness no matter what you believe or don't believe in. People for millennia, I think, have recognised as we get towards the winter winter solstice and the time of intense darkness where there's no moon in the sky. Apparently, in some of the things i've read about the solstice the whole word yule yule tide comes from the 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 idea of a wheel the wheel of the year that the sun was on a wheel and it turned and it turned and it turned towards winter and then on the solstice it stopped and there was a great fear that it would stay stopped and that it wouldn't come back and so people honoured that wheel with wreaths on their doors in the shape of the wheel, with Yule logs, and, and with the greenery of the season. So the holly berries and the mistletoe bough and the mistletoe berries were all about fertility. It was about people praying to the close and holy darkness that this dead time of the year, when the earth looks completely barren, wouldn't be the end. And so th- there's many th- people say that the red berries are the menstrual blood of the earth, and that the um, the mistletoe berries are like the semen of the earth. So it's all visceral bodily uh, celebration that we that we engage in at Christmas. And, and the fuzz and, and the fug and the froth of the commercialised Christmas, um, of 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 the stress of buying presents and and the idea that somehow it's all working up to this one day where you stuff your face with with food and drink uh, and and then kind of sleep it off and then it's all over. It, that was not what our, our ancestors saw and not even what 30 40 years ago it was about it was about the season of yuletide uh the christmas in the church that we call it the christmas octave the eight days um the 12 days of christmas you know it's it's um it's something to be celebrated and entered into and experienced for all its rich dangerous, painful, beautiful darkness. Um, I said I'd read a couple of, of my own pieces um, about Dylan Thomas. As a way of, I suppose, um, sorry, you can hear me moving the mouse. Um, as a way of of honoring his legacy so this first one was written uh, in lawn it's called ode to dylan thomas a sweet resistance slowly steals over me to the flow of the humdrumming new cycled recycled same as it ever was broadcast world then there are the noisy cackle croaked black capped castellated rookeries of chatter above my head from the crumbled-down, brown-as-owl's castle. The view of the reed-green, sea-green marshes and the skittle-masted, taking-the-rising, star-of-whales, paint named hulls on sea-breasting boats, lap-slapped, laid-out estuary, was yours once, before mine. It's been tourist-boarded, info-boarded, sign-posted to Dylan's Boathouse, the Birthday Walk, your spoken words on driftwood installations and municipal bench slats. Who has your courage, has your bluster and bombast, to cut through the verbiage, the carnage, the fake outrage, to write the seascapes, the estuaries, the channels of our dreams?' To articulate a whole town breathing, wreathing, interleaving, reality in a cloud full of lark song, spark home to love lighting, the children's feet in yearfuls of streams, unforgotten tears. The shed you wrote in, smoked the page in, walked the wobbly plank of lyrical fidelity in, your spoken page craft that collared our attention, bright heaven of invention. A life spent ticking the clock round to flashes of lucidity to high tides of liquidity where words are not weapons but plowshares to serenity whispers of infancy litanies to the ordinary keepsakes of infinity. I wrote that sitting looking out on the estuary in lawn. I've got a bit of a cold, sorry. Um, and, and, and that idea of a sweet resistance slowly steals over me to the flow of the humdrumming, news cycle, recycle, same as it ever was, broadcast world. You know, the older you get, the more you listen to all of this, the news, it's same as it ever was. And I love the idea that somehow Dylan and poets in general speak through all that chatter, and they give us another view. And and that homage at the end, a life spent ticking the clock round, to flashes of lucidity, to high tides of liquidity, where words are not weapons, but plowshares to serenity, whispers of infancy, litanies to the ordinary, keepsakes of infinity. That's what poetry does. It gets into your heart. David White says it's, it's, it's the language with against which we have no defence. It gets under your skin like music. And so uh, the other piece I'd like to share with you is a bit of a, like a Christmas cracker popping out with a crown and a toy. And okay, it's not a crap joke. It's a poem. It's called The Browns Hotel, um, which is where Dylan would go and drink every day when he lived in Larn. He'd meet his... Uh, his dad for breakfast, a liquid breakfast. They do the crossword. He'd go there at night. He uh, he loved the 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 press and um, and uh, camaraderie and joyous uh, celebratory atmosphere of a pub. And uh, this one was no exception. So, uh, and Christmas time is a time when when we like to. Some of us like to have a drink. It was the death of him, unfortunately, because it's got that double edged sword. But uh, it also, you know, it it gives us that sense of having a pint together of, of the beautiful friendship that you get from the clinking of glasses. The Browns Hotel. This elbow-smooth bar, these hand-pulling, piston-pumped beer spouts, the round, bristle-bred, wire-portioned dartboard, this shuffle-booted, varnish-flaked, plank-wooded floor, the Browns Hotel. Here were the pints, the potted heaven, hangover perdition, stand to speak, song-sung pulpit, whiskey-chasing, bard's cockpit, the fleck and ebb, the strings of opinion bowed by beer, the Browns Hotel. The rag rugged head, the pudge pork cheeks, the boil sweet teeth, the ciggy tipped lips, the bombazine pupils in the sea blue eye pools, the ear shelled memory spools in the Browns Hotel. The hand around the glass, the mind still uncudgelled, not yet beer beaten, formed by hearing, receptive to the colloquial, the local, the uniquely comical, the bright sentences, the trite terms symphonic. In the Browns Hotel. Let us sit and hear. This was his home, a cradling loam, enabling a voice. And you too can sense this rent in time, the snug door swinging. He walks in again, a shout for a pint, ready to recite. In the Browns Hotel. (laughs) I love that thought of him coming in again and giving us another rendition of... uh, Fern Hill or poem in October or um undermit Wood to begin at the beginning uh, or the Charles Christmas in Wales um, so that's a bit of like my Christmas card to you all i'm I'm really touched by how many people have listened to this podcast um it obviously finds a little resonant home somewhere inside you um, and and it makes me feel. Uh, touched that that you all find a home in this and so do I we've made a little uh, bright heaven of invention together um, and i feel really moved by that so i hope everybody has a great christmas in whatever way that can be done um I've got a, a lovely poem uh, to read as as we move through this podcast Cast. I wanted a female voice and this is a, a poet called Christian Evans written in 2016 coming back to this theme of the Holly King and and this walking through a dark season I, I I'm really love certain things about this season I love putting the Christmas decorations up. Although I remember one particular Christmas that was very traumatic in my life when we were younger and we'd been involved in a, a diff- very difficult situation that exploded around Christmas. And we had a lot of, uh, of traumatised people around us at that time. And I remember putting the decorations up that year with, with a feeling of joy. Heaviness and other years, I remember putting the decorations up the year after my dad died with my mum when I was about 12, and that slightly forced smile and uh, uh, attempt to get through it and to make it okay. Um, and and but I also remember brilliant times of putting up decorations, um, with, uh, with the kids when they were little. I remember one wonderful year, absolutely made me weep. Eva and Lara were probably about seven or eight and um, I would in the about th- set my alarm and, and Wilma and I would wake up at about half three in the morning knowing that they would be asleep by then, hopefully, and um, take their Christmas stockings and put them by the bed and I would dress up as Father Christmas just in case Um, the whole outfit I'm I'm a bit nuts like that and um, so I'd got all the gear on and I walked down the corridor towards their bedroom and I got to the door and they were both standing in the doorway and I thought oh no I've blown it And so I kind of bundled them up into bed and said, come on, girls, you need to go back to sleep now. And it was astonishing. they just kind of complied, which they wouldn't normally have done, and got into bed. And I said, here's your stockings. Um, uh, You know, go back to sleep, uh, and Christmas morning will come. And they did. And I I came back into, into our bedroom and said to Wilma, oh, look... I've blown it, and I and, and made up this whole story that Father Christmas got me to dress up because he didn't want to upset them with the strange his strangeness coming into the house. And uh, anyway, next morning, they came into our bedroom, they kind of pushed the door open, bringing Tom, little baby Tom behind them, toddler Tom, and they said, you will never guess what happened. Uh, and we said, What? They said, We met Father Christmas. We met him. And I almost burst into tears then. And they, they completely had 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 just took it all in. And um we opened the curtains and it had snowed. And it was so unbelievably magical. Um and 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 they said I said, what was he like? They said, well, he looks a bit like you, actually. But he was much fatter. And I was thinking, well, I didn't put any padding on, so that's a bit upsetting. Um, but he was lovely. He was lovely. And and they were so excited the whole day they just kept talking about it. You know. And there's a part of you thinking, what is this subterfuge all about? Why are we why are we kind of playing this game? But it is a game. It's a magical game and it's a game that leads to a sense of wonder and mystery. And it wasn't about presents. It was about a magical night where all the normal rules of life are suspended and something else can find its way into your house. Um, and, And the ancient legends... Uh, even shamanic tales in siberia apparently had a tale of a of a shaman who would climb the world tree up into the heavens and come back down it with gifts from the gods we have this archetypal sense of the Holly king of this presence who of winter and of darkness but who has gifts for us and that's certainly worth holding on to. This poem is called A Thousand Words for Snow. When the ice begins to miss, the silicon, the coal, the cuticle, the uniform, and your skin's a skittish foal. When the tongue melts the thistle in the berry's mouth like hail, and the fractal folds its kisses in a locket's lost portrait. When the water flecks its hustle with mock and pulse and hiss, and you mix oak apple cider with amnesia's chrysalis. When every stutter is a plaything, predictable as the shape that frost takes on a window or of a heart's beat as it breaks. Then look up from the static scroll of winter's radio White noise doesn't matter, you're at the station, so you go. A scarf of thorns entangled, A caddish shell of gold, a swarm of wings, childish things, a thousand words for snow. A scarf of thorns entangled, a caddish shell of gold, a swarm of wings, childish things, a thousand words for snow. How wonderful. How wonderful. Um... I'm just looking now I've put ah here it is I used to have a recurring dream at Christmas and I I think this is an attempt to honour the darker parts of Christmas the loneliness the challenge of it how unrelenting it seems and then you have the long dark of January there's a day in January I've forgotten what they call it now it's meant to be the most depressing day of the year when all the credit card bills come in for the money you spent trying to make Christmas great and, and maybe it didn't, and then you get the bill. Great metaphor. What do we spend our ourselves on? And, and when will the bill come in? And was it worth it? So there's this kind of dark side to Christmas, And there's a great Cornish poet called Charles Causley, uh, who I have um, read on occasions. And we're going to Cornwall at New Year. We've done it now for a few years. It's lovely to be by the sea in the winter, the wild storms and uh, on New Year's Eve, we go down to the beach and, and people set off fireworks all along the coastline. It's really magical and we play games and cook nice food and just appreciate the that edge world between between land and sea that kind of hinterland and borderland of two different elements coming together which is i think what attracts so many people to the coast but the coast in winter is 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 the 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 land the the brow beaten sea shaken as dylan called it land against the the power of the high tides and the i remember one year being in cornwall and it was a particularly high tide and it came right over the street and you realize that power of all that water all that dark water so this is a, a poem called innocent song and weirdly when i was a kid i used to have this um reoccurring nightmare that father christmas had turned bad and my mum and dad had realized it and we'd open the presents and 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 then this dark santa claus would come into the house and we'd have to hide or he would kill us i know my psyche is a bit twisted and and we'd hide in the paper. We'd hide in the wrapping paper, and I can remember in the dream hearing his boots moving through the... We were in the kitchen for some reason, and coming closer and feeling that terror. It never seemed to get us. And I, I, I never told anyone for a long time. I thought, God, there's something wrong with me. You know, everyone's on about, oh, isn't Father Christmas great? And I'm having this weird dream. And then I found this poem, so I'll read the poem. It's called Innocent Song. There's a brilliant musical version of this poem by Show of Hands, the the Devon and Cornwall uh, folk band. Innocent Song. Who's that knocking on the window? Who's that standing at the door? What are all these presents lying on the kitchen floor? Who is the smiling stranger with hair as white as gin? What is he doing with the children? And who could have let him in? Why has he rubies on his fingers, A cold, cold crown on his head? Why, when he cores his carol, Does the salty snow run red? Why does he ferry my fireside as a spider on a thread, His fingers made of fuses, And his tongue of gingerbread? Why does the world before him melt in a million suns? Why do his yellow yearning eyes burn like saffron buns? Watch where he comes walking out of the Christmas flame dancing, double talking. Herod is his name. Herod is his name. It's kind of going back to the politics at the beginning of this podcast. The the, the Christian church was very shrewd in, in this side of the hemisphere, this hemisphere, to put the birth of Jesus smack in the middle of winter, around the solstice. The Romans had already had saturnalia so they were, there were celebrations at this time of year and they talked about the, the rebirth of the sun so to put the sun of God and his birth at this time uh, was, was a shrewd move um, and, but they still couldn't uh, tinsel out the darkness they couldn't um, bauble back in the sun because you know in the gospel the story of jesus's is nativity is one of of real trauma uh, and darkness and difficulty you know they're forced to go on a long trip a man and his pregnant wife you can hear it now remove all the religious stuff you know if it was now and suddenly the government called a census and we all had to go back to the place where we were born. So I'd have to go back to London. Wilma, my wife, would have to go back to Glasgow. I'd have to take the kids back to London, except Tom, who was born here. That's what happened in the story of the gospel that that, that, um, Herod called a census. Well, the Romans, through Herod, called a census. And Jesus' parents... I had to go back to Bethlehem, long way from Nazareth, and yeah, uh, you know, imagine you see it in the newspaper: couple forced to have baby in farm building. Outrage, um, babe. You know, they uh, when interviewed, Joseph of Nazareth said. Well, I tried every pub I could get into and, and no one would have us. Um, uh, it was a scandal and uh, we didn't have any money and my wife was about to give birth to a baby and then some bloke said we could go into a farm building and, uh, uh, and she had baby right there. Unbelievable. Yeah. So, and, and they, they also then, Herod heard of the birth of this child because of the three kings the magi if you, if you want to read a great christmas poem read the return uh, the return of the magi by t.s Eliot. it's magical magical um and uh herod gets wind that, that some child is going to be born that's going to dethrone him he thinks so what does he do well he exercises power and he orders all the children born, the, 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 the newborns, to be killed. The slaughter of the innocents. Great theme in, in medieval painting. Uh, and a voice was heard in Rama, Rachel weeping for her children. Matthew's Gospel says, I think, quoting uh, Jeremiah. Weeping for her children. So there's darkness in the Christmas story there's there's the abuse of power and i was just listening and yearning today sorry to be a bit more political again but i have to say these things there was a story on the on the tv this morning victoria derbyshire one of our journalists about the woman mp whose name of course and the cat's meowing like mad in the corner uh whose name i can't carol uh, let me i'll find it um sorry for the clicking um mp kensington emma dent code she's just been de uh unelected oh that's not the right word just lost her seat um in Kensington and for those of you from the UK uh, Kensington is where Grenfell Tower was she was elected in 2017 uh, around the time of the Grenfell fire she knew people in it who died um, it was a quite a strongly conservative seat but she took it for Labour um, and, and to all from what I can work out has been a good MP but four weeks before the election on December the 12th, she was diagnosed with breast cancer. And she made a decision not to say anything about that. Not to, she said, neither to use it as a way of getting sympathy um, or, or, or to, to, to try and, um, I don't know, curry favour with the electorate in some way. And she kept it quiet. And she was accused of all kinds of things by one of the other candidates, so she said. But she, she still kept her dignity. And, and, and she struck me as someone who had a, a level of integrity. And she lost by 150 votes. Um, and she's having treatment. And I just thought, actually, oh, why can't we have more people have that sense of integrity, that kind of integrity that you get from the Christmas story. Um, you know, the, there's a lovely scene where the shepherds and and it's it's, talk, it's sung about in carols over and over again. While she, the, in Sheffield, they they have the Sheffield carols all around the pubs of Sheffield. People gather, and their brass bands come, and they sing the Sheffield carols, and they're. Traditional carols, but with different tunes. And Kate Rusby, who I mentioned, who we heard singing at the beginning, she, um, she knows six different versions of While Shepherds Watch Their Flocks by Night, all seated on the ground. It's a really popular carol around here, but I suspect partly because there's a lot of sheep around here. But um, that, 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 those guys turn up at the, at the stable, the shepherds, they're like the outcasts. They're the people who live outside, who guard the sheep. Um, and they are the first recipients of this new world. Uh, and, and and it's I love that idea that they come and they see what a little tiny baby, the symbol of utter vulnerability. Whatever you think about Christianity or whatever, just this idea that is is in, in a long word in christianity the incarnation in other words god somehow decides to get intimately involved with our world so much so that and and francis of assisi really really was was carried away with this idea so much so that god was prepared to be a vulnerable tiny child utterly dependent on who only two people, every other aspect of the world around that child was hostile. The only two people, Joseph and Mary, were were, were protecting him. I found that extraordinary as, as, a, as a notion. You know, I've studied theology and all that stuff. Just the gobsmacking audacious idea of 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 something about the divine being prepared to become that vulnerable, and that's what I saw in that m p when she was on t v this morning she was she was vulnerable when you get a diagnosis of breast cancer or testicular cancer or prostate cancer whatever you are at your most vulnerable because you suddenly realise this could be it. I might not be here much longer. And you have to rely on the kindness of strangers and the love of your family around you. So I think that's, I'm moving towards the end of this podcast now, that's, that's the dark side of Christmas is all this hostility. And yet the beautiful illuminating flair of integrity and a vulnerability and of preparedness to be vulnerable, to ask the right questions, to not stop asking questions, to, to, to fight the five giant evils, as, uh, as Lord Beveridge called them, to make that, 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 that stand for something a better world where we care for each other um and and where we make a society that 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 takes on the mantle of caring because we can't do it alone it has to be a cooperative venture thanks for listening i'm going to finish with a piece we have this lovely thing at the local cafe cafe number nine in netheredge for those of you from sheffield best cafe in sheffield um it's one of these places that, that, you know, you, you, you get, you get, uh, there's a, there's a little micro pub being put together in, uh, near where I live and they're working very hard to make it look shabby and old. Caffeine just looks that way. No one's tried. It just is. It's, it's cool, shabby chic without even trying nonchalantly, cleverly, um, and, Johnny, who runs it, we've been trying to persuade him for ages that spoken word stuff is as good as music. He has lots of lovely music there. And uh, he, he, he's, 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 he's gone for it now. And uh, we have this thing called the Wednesday Word Smithy. The Wednesday Word Smithy. And we gather uh, people who are interested in the spoken word. And we do bits of writing exercises, you know, exercise is the wrong word, imaginative explorations. Uh, of different things and we bring pieces to read to each other and it's a lovely little cafe and at night with the the wood burning stove going and the coffee machine spluttering at us um, we all sit and huddle round and we share lovely words, powerful words quite dark words at times And, um, and we take a theme sometimes and the theme of the last one, appropriately, was Christmas decorations and we were asked to bring one and then write about it and I'm going to finish this podcast with my piece that I wrote about my decoration. He kneels in our decoration, rotund and uncomfortable, bald and supplicatory, red-coated and trousered, black belt straining, black boots bending, black eyes strangely focused on the little crib with neat and tidy mother-arranged straw. Brown haired babe with a tiny blue blanket tucked up to his oxters, and calm, serene hands cupping his little milk sated belly, the obligatory and necessary hat under the knee of the sainted Nicholas, and the straw framing an even more haloed, hallowed crown to the one away in his manger. Bleak midwintered, the no in, door closed, stable settled Christ. When this bauble, this slightly saccharine and sentimental trinket, is placed by a grown-up child's hand on the outstretched finger of a Nordic fir, then we all admit Christmas has overwhelmed us with a night's ageless serenity once again. When this bauble, this slightly saccharine and sentimental trinket is placed by a grown-up child's hand on the outstretched finger of a Nordic fir then we all admit Christmas has overwhelmed us with a night's ageless serenity once again. I love the whole thing from Christmas Eve through to Boxing Day because I remember when I used to do retreats in monasteries there's an ageless quality when you go into the choir of a monastery with the monks at night to do the night office it feels utterly eternal it feels like timeless like eternity is somehow stolen into the ticking clock of time And it just feels the same every time. And that's what Christmas, there's something about that ageless serenity of of the night on Christmas Eve when you look up at the stars in the cold midwinter sky. And you remember back as the tide rushes in of all the old Christmases. I love that in Scrooge, each Christmas has a, a ghost of Christmas present and that the, the film in, in in the musical Scrooge is, is Kenneth I can't think of his name now but he's a big bold actor and he's got a big booming voice and he's giving Scrooge the milk of human kindness you know each Christmas is its own Christmas but they're all brothers he says the brothers that have come before me and uh It's that ageless quality to it, the ageless serenity of Christmas that I wish you uh, all and hope that you have. Something of that magical taste that the holly king with his holly queen breathing frost across the landscape, something of that taste, that milk of human vulnerability and integrity and kindness that, that will last you all through 2020. I look forward to talking again. I'm Adrian, the anxious poet. Merry Christmas.